Thanks for listening to the Mercy Church Podcast. If you're in the area, we want to invite you to join us the last weekend in March as we celebrate Good Friday and Easter Sunday. Good Friday services will be at 6 p.m. on Friday evening. And then on Sunday morning, we invite you to join us for a time of worship, a message, and baptisms. Bring your friends, your family, and if you feel so led, invite your coworker, cashier, or barista to join you. Services will be held at regular service times at all campuses. To learn more, visit mercycharlotte.com slash events. Again, that's mercycharlotte.com slash events. There is a saying that uh, is pretty common in our vernacular that we use in the, in the everyday when we want to express that we are stepping into a big commitment, whether it's with someone or it's with something. When, we, when we're ready to take a big step, we're investing a lot of time, a lot of money, a lot in our relationships, whatever, we say, it's a common in the English language, that we say, we're in it for the long haul. You ever had that moment where you're like, I'm stepping into some new season of life or something, and I'm, I'm in it for the long haul. And it's at the same time really exciting and also a little bit scary because you are now adulting on like a new level that you haven't adulted before, right? And it's a, it's a big moment that you walk into. I think about when you go from um, renting an apartment to buying a house. It's like, man, really exciting, cool moments. I'm, I'm really excited, and I'm a little bit nervous, right? It's a little bit scary to sign my name there because now I know, man, I'm in this for the long haul. Or you've got a, you high school seniors that are about to graduate. You're getting ready to figure out what college, or you've already figured out what college you're going to go to. And that's a big step because now you've got a new long haul ahead of you. In fact, I heard a story this week. I love our, um, our high school students. One of our seniors was waiting to hear back from Carolina. She hadn't heard yet. So the girl drove up there, went to the department chair of the department that she wants to study in, got a letter of recommendation from him, took it down to the admissions office and said, let me in. And they said, okay, green litter. Now she's going to Carolina. I'm like, that girl's going places right there. And we're all going to be working for her one day. I'm pretty excited about it. Um, I think about, uh, oh, another one. Wedding season is here, right? Wedding season's upon us. You think about long haul. Um, one of our college seniors, a guy named Trey, he's really excited. He's getting married next Saturday. I got to see a sneak peek at the vows that he's written, and he's going to get up there with this thick southern accent that he has, and he's going to say, Grace, I'm in it for the long haul. I made that up. I don't know if he's going to say that or not, but you get the, the point. When you get married, you are in it for the long haul, right? In it for the long haul. Um, the last one I think of is one that's a little more recent to me. It's that moment where you have your first baby, and the hospital actually just sends you out the door with this human, and you're like, are you sure? You know? And you're standing there, and you're nervous because you're responsible for another human life, but then you look down at this little child and the, the overwhelming love of a parent kind of sweeps over because you know, man, I'm in this for the long haul with you, little one, right? In it for the long haul. We get this saying, of course, from, from truckers who, you know, will have to take, load up their 18-wheelers and take all of their haul, all their stuff, over a long distance. And you know these guys, when they're preparing for a cross-country long haul, they don't just hop in the truck, right? They got to get the truck prepped, get everything ready. They got to get that truck that's got the cool cabin with the bed, kind of in the back. They got to get that 64-ounce plastic uh, mug with the bendy straw, and you get free refills at all the Sheets gas stations as you go across the country, right? Got to have all that because they have to get ready. They got to get ready. You don't just lightly decide on a Saturday morning that you're going to go somewhere for a long haul. That's called a road trip, right? Road trips are a little bit different. You don't pack much for a road trip. You just kind of go. 
in college, my junior year, I think, uh, my roommate and I decided we we're going to go to Chicago. We were in uh, Chapel Hill, North Carolina. We we're like, we're going to go to Chicago. So we said, let's go, right? And what do we do? We packed our backpack full of combos, no clothes, right? No drink, just combos. If you don't know what combos are, they're these little cylindrical pretzel snacks that have organic, all-natural, like, cheese filling <laughs> in the middle. Really good for you. You should try them. Um, but so that's all we did. We just packed everything full of that. And it was a great trip, right? We printed off our MapQuest directions because that was what was going on at that time, okay? Printed those off, following those, and we just kind of went, you know? We get hungry, get thirsty, because no drink, just combos. Our combos run out. We got to get gas, whatever else. We stop up somewhere in Indiana, and we learn about this thing called White Castle, okay? White Castle is, y'all, I think I lost four years off my life eating that toxic waste that they called meat. Um, and these little sliders and everything, whatever. But anyways, you just kind of go. You have a good time, good memories, some pictures, etc. That's what road trips are. Road trips are fun experiences, but long hauls are life-changing decisions that we go through, right? You get married, you're going to prepare for that. We always prepare for long hauls. You get into some premarital counseling. You read some books because you're getting ready. Because if you show up at your wedding day, Trey, and all you got is a bag of combos, you're going to be in some trouble, okay? You got to prepare a little bit more for that, right? Same thing with the other things in life. You're going to have a kid. Some of y'all, we got a lot of people that are having babies right now in our church. You're like, got that baby wise book memorized, right? Because like, I got to know everything I can know. I got to prepare to be a parent. You want to go to college? You don't just wake up on a Saturday morning in August and go, college sounds cool. Let me go get into one. No, that's not how it works. You start in like ninth grade preparing for college, right? Making sure you have all the good grades, making sure you do the SAT well, which means you got to take the pre-SAT, take the SAT prep class, et cetera, et cetera, right? You do a lot of prep. You buy a house. Got to get a loan, got to get it inspected, got to prepare for the move, got to take measurements for furniture. You know you're in a long haul moment because of how much you invest into it. Y'all listen, a lot of times though, people treat their faith like a weekend road trip where we're going to go for a good experience, have some fun, get an emotional high, and but then it's back home and back into the way things were. In fact, for many Christians, that's all that their faith is built on a series of experiences like a summer camp or a conference or an Easter service that might make you feel good. I'm not saying any of these things are bad. They might make you feel good, leave you with some good memories, but after the high wears off, it just leaves you right back where you started. And that's because all you actually ever did was take a road trip to see Jesus and then come back. You didn't move your life with him for the long haul. And again, these things aren't necessarily bad, but building our faith on experiences really isn't building our faith at all just a road trip, and too many in the church today are trying to get by on a road trip faith that was never meant to sustain you. And so what happens is people will wonder why their faith, they get into a tough spot and wonder why their faith isn't really having the effect that they thought it would, that they hoped it would, but all you ever invested into it was a bag of combos. And here's what happens. What ends up happening is you start riding spiritual high moments, and you, you tell me if you've ever experienced this, a season in your life where you'll have a spiritual, like, rich time, you'll call it an uptime, high time, and then a down, spiritual low point, dry season, whatever. And then you just kind of ride, and your life with Christ will be, your, your faith will be just highs and lows, highs and lows from one, and you're trying to get back to that next high somehow. You come to a season of life where things are busy. I've seen it so many times, I don't really have time for road trips anymore, and so you wander off from the Lord. Or worse, things get hard, you turn to God, and you realize you have no idea what God wants you to do in this situation, what he's doing in the situation, what he says about it. And the reality is, that's because that podcast that you got a high from 
three years ago isn't sustaining your faith in this really difficult moment. You wonder where God is, and I've seen it so many times. You just kind of drift away because your whole faith was built on a road trip. God was actually there all along. You just didn't really know him yet. And y'all, when we don't invest into our faith, when we just ride emotional highs and lows, we miss the life-altering power of being with Jesus for the long haul, the power for victory over sin, for hope in the face of suffering, for friendship when facing loneliness, for purpose when we're facing despair, for strength when facing temptation, the power to even, look at this, care beyond ourselves and spark life change in other people's lives. The power for all of this comes not from a spiritual high moment, but from believing for the long haul. Y'all, I think about my own life. I became a Christian when I was 12 years old. I believe God saved me. It was a cool summer camp experience. I got baptized. Big high moment. And there's nothing bad about it. Big high moment. But then over the next six years, no one ever taught me, and I never searched it out, it was on me, how to walk with Christ. And so by the time I got to college, I was ready to leave it all entirely because I was still building my faith off of a moment six years earlier. Road trip experiences produce great memories, but they can produce on their own a weak faith that misses out on the fullness of joy and the power for life change that God offers you in Christ. So here's what's gonna happen. Over the next couple of months, we're gonna walk through a letter the Apostle Paul wrote to a young pastor, and he was coaching him in how to help the people in his church develop a faith that would last for the long haul. So we're gonna be looking at Paul's letter to Titus, and we've kind of titled this series, Believing for the Long Haul. As we walk through this letter, I want you, what you're gonna see is Paul talk about what the heart, what the mind, and what the life, everyday life looks like when you're believing for the long haul. When belief transforms from just having an experience with God every so often to a way to really flourish in everyday life. Because what if I told you the long haul, y'all? It's not just your 70 or 80 years here on earth. What if we start looking at your belief outlasting your life? If you caught a, vi a vision for the generations that were gonna follow your leadership and how you followed Christ. And beyond that, we're talking about a belief that's gonna go on for all of eternity. So here's the deal. I think for many of us, this is gonna be some new stuff. I think it's gonna be uncomfortable and it's gonna be what God uses to break into that cycle of spiritual ups and downs that you've been living in and you're gonna really start to experience the permanent life-giving power of the love of God. That's my prayer for us this series, that you will catch a giant, way bigger vision than ever before of what God wants to do in your life and through your life and he can do that as you believe for the long haul. So here in Titus, here's what we're gonna do. Today, I'm gonna walk you through the introduction. I, I do wanna say this, though. The whole letter is 46 verses, okay? So maybe a challenge for you, if you're kind of newer to the Bible, you at least get an idea of what one book of the Bible says. 46 verses, actually listen to it with the Bible app. Um, listen to it on my way here today. It's a 10-minute drive, and I had two minutes to spare, okay? Listen to the whole thing. My challenge to you is to read it every day. Read it every day and immerse yourself in God's word and see what he will do as you work through what it means to believe for the long haul. All right, but what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna show you the introduction this morning. We're gonna, it's only four verses. I'm gonna walk through it kind of slowly because there's a message embedded into this introduction that is actually just applied. The rest of the letter applies the introduction in this case, all right? So we're gonna walk through that and then I'm gonna finish the sermon giving you kind of an overview, a flyover of the rest of the letter. All right, so Titus 1, verse 1. Who's ready? 
Ready. Good. Let's go. Somebody in the first service went, woo, from the back of the room. I was like, Ric Flair is here. He wants the word of God. I'm excited. Let's go. All right. Chapter one, verse one. Paul, <coughs> excuse me, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ. All right. I'm going to stop right here. <laughs> this is pretty big. I don't want you to just gloss over this because it's this opening introduction. And I don't want to assume all of us know who the Apostle Paul is, and maybe all you know is that he wrote some letters. See, Paul is writing as a spiritual father to Titus, and he's perhaps the greatest church planter at this point the world has ever known, and still to this day. But Paul, what, here's the thing, Paul wasn't always that guy. Let me just put it this way, you're newer to the Bible. Paul had some priors, okay? He had He was a Jewish Roman citizen who was also kind of like the secret police, and his job as the secret police was to hunt down and kill Christians, all right? That was his job. He was very good at it. He was, I think it's safe to say, far from God. So he's on his way one day to a town called Damascus, and Jesus interrupts his life. Shortest way to say that. Jesus literally appears on this road to Damascus, blinds Paul, and says, Paul, stop persecuting me. Then he commissions Paul. And instead of persecuting the name of Jesus, Paul, the rest of Paul's life is now going to be proclaiming the name of Jesus. A few days later, Paul regains his sight, spends some time with Jesus' disciples, figuring out who this guy is. Then he goes on to Damascus, where he was supposed to go and kill the Christian faith. And instead, he goes to Damascus, and he proclaims life available to people through Christ. Here's why I pause, y'all. When Paul met Jesus, Jesus stopped his life and rescued him from himself. Everything in Paul's life was now going to line up according to God's plan for it, not Paul's plan for it. And I want you to see that a guy who had taken innocent lives was not too far gone to be rescued by God. That's because God, same promise is true for you, God loved Paul. He loved him. And he wanted him. He didn't just love him. He actively wanted him. And God doesn't just love you, his creation. He wants you. He desires to have a relationship with you where you experience the joy of being a son or daughter of Christ. He wants you so much that he put his son on a cross to pay the debt that you owe for your sin so that you could be reconciled to him. He wants you. Paul's educa- Paul was an educated guy. Paul was hardened against the Christian message. None of that, none of that stopped the love of God from breaking in to Paul's life and changing everything. Paul eventually became a church planter and a pastor to young pastors like Titus. My point in all this is to give a word of hope to the man or woman listening today who thinks that he or she is too far gone for God to rescue. In Paul, God redeemed a murderer and made him a pastor. And ever since, he's been taking people who wreck their lives and he's been making them into beautiful displays of his redeeming power. He can do that in your life when you give him your life for the long haul. I promise you the moment of conversion, Paul still had no idea what he was about to be a part of the rest of his life. Man, I wanna see you guys watch him work when you give him your life. All right, next one and a half verses, 
the rest of verse one into verse two, he gives us his, his motivations for why he's writing the letter. He says, it's for the faith of God's elect and for the knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness. This is what we're gonna see every week in this series, kind of these two things threaded and woven together throughout. Listen, here's the, the two objectives. The first, the letter to Titus is for building your faith. He, say, he says it's for the faith of God's elect. That's another way of him saying it's the goal of the letter is that God's people will be built up in their faith, but that's different than knowledge. Follow here. This is an important thing that you can miss that you gotta get right. First, he says it's for their faith. And the challenge for many of you is to separate faith from knowledge for just a minute, right? Let me give you an example. All right, I got the stool here, right? stool, knowledge is me saying that stool, according to the box, can hold my weight. I, do I believe that stool can hold my weight? Yes. I know it to be true because I have read everything there is to read about this stool, right? That's very different than faith. Faith is me saying I trust the stool enough to put the weight of my body onto it, which is a very different thing than just knowing about it. And the reason I'm taking a second to bring this up is because it is so easy and common, especially in the Bible Belt, to assume that because you know a lot of things about the stool, that you are actually believing that the stool can hold your life. And what we're doing here, and what Paul's doing is here, saying the rest of this letter is you making this really big choice, not just to know about the Lord and to know about Christ's salvation, but to believe it enough that you would rest your whole life on it. And that's gonna be why I say this series might be a little uncomfortable because we're gonna move from knowing about God to resting our faith, belief into him and to his calling, to his gospel message, and then to his instructions for our lives. That's the first thing he's going after. The second thing he says is for knowledge, for giving you truth that leads to godliness. What you believe to be true always shapes what you do, right? That's a universal human truth. The book of Titus is gonna say that believing God's truth will lead you to godliness, right? Leaning the weight of our lives on what God says is true will be evident by the way that we live. We'll begin to mold our lives along the design that God lays out. Our lives will start to look godly. The great challenge for many of us is hearing God's truth, but ultimately deciding that we're gonna do what we wanna do. Right? So we'll practice godliness, but only when it aligns with selfliness. So I'll be kind to others where that benefits me or is at least a very little cost to me. I'll be godly when it lines up with being selfly. But when godliness doesn't line up with selfliness, then I'm going to choose my truth, what I ultimately live by, which is selfliness, because I'm still not actually leaning the weight of my life on the Lord and on his word, I'm still ultimately resting in my own self. So I'm gonna sleep with my boyfriend or girlfriend. I'm gonna cheat on my finals. I'm gonna use people to get ahead instead of serving them because that's what I want. And ultimately, I submit to myself, not to God. Again, that's why this series is gonna be such a challenge because it will be believing God's truth when it conflicts with self-truth. And y'all, that, that's where you really find out 
if you actually believe all this. And then living godly instead of living selfly. But let me just say, I say this from time to time, and I mean it. This is especially a series where you need to be in a community group, in some kind of space, relationship with others, where you can work this out. Because we are all, none of us are perfectly godly, okay? So we're all trying to live and sit down in the chair, sit down on the stool in, in new ways that we never had before as we try to align our lives and our hearts with what God has said about us. And we need some brothers and sisters to help us out with that. All right, now, what gives you the power, the motivation, the desire to choose that? Because that's a big choice, right? A big, big choice. What's the motivation? That's where he goes next in verse two. Our motivation for these two things is in the hope of eternal life. That God, God who cannot lie, promised before time began. This is the heartbeat of Paul's letter. All right, chapter, two, chapter one, verse two. That's your underline because the motivation the people in Titus's church needed, the motivation that will sustain them with long-haul faith is that they have a hope, a hope of eternal life promised to them by a God who cannot lie. See, what's happening is Paul, what he's doing, he's modeling it, and then he's bringing them along with him, is he's fixing his eyes on where he is going. And fixing his eyes on where he is going, he's saying, I'm basing how I live now on where I'm going to be. His future destination determines his present course of action. And we do this all the time, all the time, right? Um, some of you guys in here are runners. I have huge respect for you. I do not understand you, okay? But I respect you, all right? So because I know that running a marathon, if I decide to run a marathon, takes a lot of prep and training. I was talking to a guy this morning. He signed up. Um, he said, yeah, I'm running a marathon in three months. I already started training and everything for that. I'm like, man, if I just showed up next Saturday at the whatever marathon and said, hey, I'm here to run, and here we go, y'all, there would be a headline, local paper that says, local pastor, comma, overconfident, comma, dies at mile marker two, right? That's how that would go, because I didn't prepare for it, right? I know you guys, you sign up, you start running, you start eating right months in advance, because you're gonna put your body through a tough run. Your future destination determines your present course of action. When Paul says that your godliness, what you're doing now, it's in view of a hope of eternal life coming. That's the motivation for what's now. That's what he's saying. Here's the way we can write it down. Believing for the long haul. What he's saying in this introduction is that believing for the long haul means your eternal destination, heaven, sets your present course of action. Instead of letting my present course of action determine my future destination, Paul's flipping it. We do this. We wander around in the present, living that emotional high, cool road trip experience. And Paul's saying, no, 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 no. I'm going to let my future determine my present. This hope of eternal life, it's the most sure thing ever. Something God has promised. Paul doesn't normally say the God who cannot lie. He's basically making sure that we catch this is a promise of eternal life. That's where the long haul ends in victorious reunion with Jesus and other believers for all eternity. The whole New Testament is written with this long-haul mindset that God loves us. He loves us and that he wants us. He desires each one of us to spend eternity with him. And everything in this letter is based on the belief that eternity is real. It's real. And we were created to spend eternity with God. That's why our soul craves, craves it. 
It's what our soul really craves. We're not gonna be satisfied with anything less than that. In heaven, we get what we crave, God himself. I've heard eternity described kind of like an ocean. And we humans are like fish that are stranded in a shallow tide pool gasping for air. The waters of life that we swim in aren't deep enough for what our souls need. And the gospel message, that's the ocean calling us and showing us the way back to itself. That you're loved by God, but your sin has put you in the shallow waters away from him. And God says, you're gonna have to let go of those things. You have to let him be in charge. You keep gasping for air, but he will rescue you if you will entrust your life to him. And I mean all of it. Y'all, when Paul becomes a Christian, everything changes. Everything changes for him. He loses everything, and then he says later, I count everything as worthless anyways compared to knowing Christ. Here's verse three. Paul says, in his own time, he has revealed his word in the preaching with which I was entrusted by the command of God our Savior. Jesus tells Paul to go and preach it, and as Paul preaches, God begins to reveal it as truth in the hearts and minds of, of his hearers. That's how God does it. Paul never saved one person, right? Paul preached, God changed people's hearts, revealing the gospel to be true. That happens from time to time around here. Someone will come up to me and say, hey man, it's like you were just preaching to me right there. And I love that moment, not because I think, wow, I did a good job. No, I don't tailor the message to each single individual. That's the Lord revealing himself to someone right there in that moment. Listen, the gospel that I preach, that whoever's up here preaches every week is offensive. It says you're a sinner. It says you've rejected God, that rejected that rejection has separated you from him forever. Eternity is real, but you will spend eternity apart from him in hell without Christ. All that's pretty offensive. So if you're gonna come to me and say, man, I feel like you're preaching right to me, I really need to hear that. I'm like, that was offensive, what I just said. That's not Spence doing work on you. That's the Lord himself. And that gospel says you are so loved by God that he couldn't leave you in your sin. So he sent Christ to pay the debt that your sin owed. Out of love for you, he says, I'm paying your debt so that you can have eternal life. Now you're forgiven. Now you're free. Now you can come back to the ocean. And believing for the long haul is saying I'm resting my life there. And what it means is I'm a worship this God who died for me and I'm gonna do so in view of spending all of eternity with him. One day I'm coming home to him. Verse four. <coughs> Excuse me. To Titus, my true son in our common faith, grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Savior. It's the end of the greeting. It's a greeting to his spiritual son. And what's he doing? He's passing on the legacy of faith. What Titus and the church he leads needs to know for believing for the long haul. And in Titus, one of the reasons I love it, I'm excited to do this letter, he just packs it in really tightly, everything that they need to know. So over the next few weeks, as we walk through this letter, we're gonna see the way that long-haul belief transforms every area of our lives. So I wanna take the rest of these last few minutes and I wanna show you an overview of the letter, okay? And what I'm gonna show you is how, what long-haul belief, what is that value and how it transforms these different areas of your life. Now, in many ways, these are introductions to the rest of the sermons for the rest of the series, but give you an idea of where we're going. Here's the first one. Long-haul belief values spiritual leadership over personal isolation. This is where we're going next week. 
we're going to be talking about elders, which is the Bible's words for uh, church leaders. A couple of weeks later, we're going to look at people who are older in the faith, training up those who are younger. Paul's making a really big deal throughout this short letter that everyone should be submitted to the spiritual leadership of someone else. Y'all giving up our individual autonomy, our authority for, to, to someone else is so foreign to us, yet it is so important to God. The first thing, the first thing Paul tells Titus to do, appoint elders. And when you go plant a church, Titus, appoint elders. I left you there, appoint elders. Then you gotta do all this other stuff and make sure there are leaders in the church set up. So I'm gonna tell you something. If you're young or young in the faith, this means Paul in this short letter is gonna put at least two people in a place of spiritual leadership over your life. Your pastors and spiritual parents. People older in the faith that are charged to raise you up. Can I ask you for a second, how does that make you feel? If you're honest, search your heart for a minute. How does it make you feel? On top of that, he's gonna start um, chapter three reminding you to be submissive to governing authorities as well. When you hear that, do you push back? Push back and say, no, 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 no. No one else. I am in charge of me. Nobody else, just me. Listen, if that's you, I wanna challenge you on something, hopefully lovingly as your pastor. If you're that set against spiritual leadership, usually that means you'll reject God's leadership too. So here's my challenge to you. Have you ever willingly submitted yourself to the spiritual leadership of anyone not named mom and dad? And if that's a struggle, maybe instead of, of throwing out spiritual leadership, maybe you should work through in your heart and mind why you're there. Y'all remember, I'm one of those that had a pretty bad experience with a pastor growing up, okay? The guy broke my trust. But if I would have remained bitter and cold towards all spiritual leadership, man, I would have missed the incredible life investment, the transforming investment of some other spiritual leaders who have shaped my life over the past 15 years and showed me how to walk with the Lord. Here's the second thing. Long-haul belief values faithful over flashy. The most common theme in this letter is that Paul wants to build the faithfulness of these people, which, listen, I'm going, let's just admit it. Building faithfulness sounds boring, in a microwave culture, right? It's in fact, this is why I do a raised bed garden in the, my backyard, okay? I mean, I love to, the idea of eating off the fat of the land that just feels cool to me, but the reason I do it is so that me, to remind me and to remind my kids that fruit doesn't grow overnight, right? So we went out and we planted, did all this work. We did like two hours of work and we come out the next day and my little girl, Ellie, she goes, where are the vegetables, dad? And I'm like, they're coming, baby. And I show her the thing, it says, in 90 days, we get to harvest. 90 days? How old will I be? You know, like she's, so it doesn't even make sense to her, right? But that's, that's kind of a reality. We're, so, we're, we're microwave driven. But listen, long haul belief values faithfulness to God's calling on our lives. We're in it for the long haul. We're moving our lives there. So we've got time for God to work on us and we can be patient to see what he's going to do. I'm telling you, the number one trait we look for in uh, future leaders here at Mercy Church, faithfulness. Is someone able to be faithful to the task God has given them? In this letter, that's what Paul wants. He, the main thing, he's gonna say faithfulness to doctrine, to loving the brothers, but one of the main things is faithfulness to good works. Living lives that model the gospel by giving away time, money, experience, sweat, all for the benefit of others. And faithfulness to good works doesn't mean you wander into a local outreach project, spend an hour, snap a picture, and then wander out. 
feeling good about yourself. No, it means you get into the everyday messiness of people's lives in order to lift them up, to lift them up. And Paul says at the end of chapter two, we're to be zealous for those kind of opportunities, for those kind of good works where we sacrifice ourselves for the sake of building others up. Why? Because that's what Christ did for us. That's Titus 2.14. Jesus who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness, to purify for himself a people for his own possession. And what's the descriptor of them? People that are zealous for good works. The gospel captures our heart so much. We're transformed into people who love loving others with the love of Jesus because that's the love we've experienced. Y'all told you this letter, it's not, it's not glamorous. But Christianity isn't glamorous, but it is beautiful. And the beauty belongs to God and we experience that beauty through believing for the long haul. Two more. The next one, long haul belief doesn't just sustain for years. It multiplies for generations. Man, I hope your hearts and minds catch a vision over these next two months. I, can't, I think it's week four we're gonna be in it. We're gonna talk about discipleship in the church. And in Paul's eyes, discipleship's not a program. It's kind of just like family dynamics where the parents raise the kids. And this right here, it's probably what, Titus is known for more than anything else. God knew people will come to believe the gospel. They become a part of the church. And a great deal of the time, they become from families where mom and dads aren't believers. Maybe mom and dads aren't even around, not even still alive. So God says the church is the family and there are gonna be spiritual parents that raise the children. Because road trips are fun. And you take a road trip with friends, right? You don't need a lot of experience, a lot of instructions in order to take a, take a road trip, Right? Eat combos, avoid White Castle, you're good. You can get to Chicago on just those two things. You don't need a whole lot with that, right? But when I'm moving, when I'm in it for the long haul, eh, friends can come, but I want my dad. A lot of y'all have been there. You, you want your dad moving with you because your dad has moved before, and I just feel safer when he's with me. I know it's all going to be okay. And I'm telling you, we need, in believing for the long haul, we need moms and dads showing us what that looks like. How to use the dolly, right? To put the heavy stuff in the truck first, to pay for the pizza that's gonna feed everybody else who comes, right? But here's the reality in our day. This very seldomly happens in our stream of churches. In fact, when I say spiritual parents, which I've now said several times in this sermon, most of you probably feel a little bit odd by that. It's a little bit awkward or maybe even weird. I believe our church is more than likely filled with spiritual orphans, who have never been raised in the faith, and maybe spiritually absentee parents who have never raised up any children in the faith. But listen, it, and what I'm saying is, most people have no idea how to do this thing that Paul tells them to do as normative in the church. So we got some work in front of us. And if you're not in it for the long haul, then that's not a really big problem. You just get your spiritual fix, go back to life. But if you really want the power of God to change your life, you need a guide for that. So in that week, we're gonna talk about what it looks like to be changed by that kind of relationship and how it can be life-giving. In fact, here, you know, time to time we do these questions for the car rides, and here's one for today. Who are your spiritual parents? Who are your spiritual children? Uh, let me say one other thing I love about this notion. I was sitting uh, with an older believer in the faith, lives here in town. His family comes to our church, and um, he was telling me how his prayer, as he's caught a vision for life and for legacy beyond himself, with the gospel, he told me how his prayer changed. He said, when I was young, I prayed, God, don't give me a wife unless she's a believer. 
And then we were, we're in that age where we could have kids. And he said, you know what? I'm praying. Don't give me children unless they will uh, become followers of Christ. He said, now my prayer is, I don't, God, don't let anybody ever be born into my bloodline unless they will come to faith in Christ. Now, that is his own specific family, right? But in that, he's being a, a spiritual parent, and he's saying, I want to see, I'm praying for something that's going to far outlast my life. And here he is at 92, he's in our church last weekend, standing there when his great-grandson gets baptized. And he gets to see just a little, little bit of God's faithfulness to him believing and thinking and dreaming far beyond himself. Here's my point. When you believe for the long haul, you'll start looking beyond yourself. You'll start asking God for bigger things for his glory. And increasingly, you'll get caught up in his plan and in his life and his purposes and not your own. And it'll be a good thing for you. You'll see yourself breaking free from some of the sin because you've got bigger things to worry about for the glory of God. Most of you are just trying to get by when God wants to use you to change generations to come. I actually have two more. I lied, not just one more. Here's the next one. Long-haul belief values gospel unity over personal preference. Be pretty quick with this, but chapter three is gonna dig into unity in the body. And listen, for most of us, it's not that we quarrel. It's not that we, we openly fight. I think some of us have experiences or we've heard of experiences, so we hear the term church business meeting, and we're like, oh, I don't wanna be a part of that, right? Because we know there might be fighting that happens in that or something. We just kind of have a, an idea of that. But listen, that might be, we think that's our, our parents' generation, that sort of thing. Listen, we're way worse. Listen, we're way worse. Here's why. When we don't like something, we just vanish. We say, you know what, I'm leaving. That's how we quarrel. That's how we practice disunity. We just vanish. Let's be real honest. Any counselor will tell you it's healthier for a family to fight than to fear abandonment of one another. Road trip faith Road trip faith says, I'll just bail when I don't like it or, or I'll fight hard for my preferences. Long haul faith says, I'm gonna choose unity with others in the family, even with, especially when it means sacrificing my preferences. That's hard work. That requires rehearsal of the gospel. Let me tell you the last one. Long haul belief values God's name over my name. There's a thread that runs throughout this letter. I don't know that we'll hit it in any specific sermon because it's pretty much, it's just kind of woven in, um, where Paul is very concerned that everything he is calling this church to, the goal is to help exalt the name of God really highly, as high as it can be by this church for the community that's around it. So Titus 1.7, he talks about an overseer, an elder, and he says they are God's steward. That's why they gotta be above reproach because they are exalting, they've gotta lift high the name of God. Right, Titus 2.5, he talks about older men, older women, younger men, younger women, the things that they do, they do it so that the word of God may not be reviled, that God's word is lifted high among them in their community, Titus 2.10, so that in everything these people do, they may adorn, listen to this language, adorn the doctrine of God our Savior, that it might be beautiful, doctrine, beautiful to the community looking in. All of chapter three is Paul saying, live in a new way, a different way than you used to live because you value a different name than you used to value. Y'all, we live in a world where we're conditioned to value our name, to make our name as big and as popular, as well-known as it can be, right? We all wanna get to first name status where you just say my first name and the whole world knows who you're talking about, Tiger, right? You say Steph, you say Hillary, Donald, Cardi, right? We all know these first names. 
right? We want to get that. That's the way our culture conditions us, and then we'll have made it when everybody knows us. And Paul is saying, here's the deal. Here's a reality check for you. If you are going to be in it for the long haul, it is going to be about giving God's name glory and not yours. Are you willing to die to that? My, um, I've told you guys this uh, story before. My favorite pastor in church history right now is Jean-Baptiste Massillon. He's French, so I'm assuming that's how you say his last name. I don't know for sure. But 1715, King Louis XIV of France, he dies after reigning for 72 years. He called himself Louis the Great. Like, that's some confidence. When you decide, I am Louis the Great, self-named, there's a moment in, uh, in history he's talked about where they're trying to decide the role of the government under his regime. He goes, no, 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 I am the state, right? His court was the most magnificent in Europe. His funeral was set up to be equally spectacular. So what they did is they put his body in a golden coffin in a huge cathedral. 3,000 people or more are in attendance, and the way it's set up is there's to be one light in the room, and it's this big candle that's supposed to sit over Louis's coffin. The rest of the room is to be completely blacked out. Louis planned this. He planned this because he wanted it to symbolize that he was the lone hope, the lone light in all of Europe at the time. And he wanted that to, to his name to be made really big. So funeral happens, darkness, one candle. Jean-Baptiste comes up, takes his place to begin the funeral. Everything goes silent. The first thing he does he leans down over the coffin to that candle and he goes, and then he speaks out into pitch black, only God is great. Only God is great. I am waiting for my Jean-Baptiste moment somewhere, having some time. I'm so excited. Might be the end of my life. I'm pumped. But listen, if you're gonna be in this for the long haul, you have to realize that only God is great. One day when we show up in heaven, we are not worshiping your name. We are not worshiping my name. We are worshiping the name of God. Now, here's what's so good for us in this. Only one name can be great in your life, but any other name, if it were great in your life, any other name other than Christ, it will actually consume and take from you. If your career title is the great name in your life, it'll take your time, your relationships, and all your best energy for all your best years. You'll have fleeting moments of happiness following by that name consuming more and more of you. But if you make Christ's name great, it'll do the opposite. He actually gives life to you. The more you exalt him and humble yourself, the more loved you will feel, the more Filled you will be with his love, the more joy and energy you will have to even give away to others. That's because Jesus doesn't need anything from you like any other name would. He's God, so he can give freely to you, and he promises you to always fill you with his presence and fill you with his love. And believing for the long haul is experiencing more and more of the depths of that love day after day.